Revelation 9 has to be one of the scariest chapters in all the Bible. Scorpions and things like locusts that sting people and they can't find death. Oh man, it is a dark chapter, an intriguing chapter. It looks like a dark Hollywood movie, even like a horror film. And it's the fifth and sixth trumpets of Revelation 9. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, you can learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store and podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael. So as I mentioned, Revelation 9 is one of the scariest chapters in the Bible. I was reading a commentary by James Hamilton, and he reminded the reader of these, uh, f- this uh, content from J.R.R. J. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Perhaps the most terrifying enemies there are the fell riders out of Minas Morgul. They're called the Black Riders or the Nazgul. Former kings who were once noble but now are the living dead. They ride huge dragon-like beasts. Consider this description of these frightful enemies in the, the, uh, the book and then the movie Return of the King. The Nazgul came again, and as their dark lord now grew and put forth his strength, so their voices which uttered his will and his malice were filled with evil and horror. Ever they circled the city like vultures that expect their full of doomed men's flesh. Out of sight and shot they flew, yet they were ever present. And their deadly voices rent the air with piercing screams. Um, some of you have seen the movie Return of the King. will never forget the shrieking of the sound of these terrible creatures. There's a picture of one of them behind me. If you go on, Terry, and show a couple others. For those of you who have seen the movie... Uh, they're just a frightful type of creature. They fly in the air. They, there seems to be really no way to deal with them. And as they do, they shriek and they make this terrible sound. And it goes on to say, more unbearable they become, not less, at each new cry. At length, even the stout-hearted would fling themselves to the ground as the hidden menace passed over them. Or they would stand, letting their weapons fall from uh, nerveless hands, while into their minds blackness came. And they thought no more of war, but only of hiding and of crawling and of death, close quote. That's what J.R.R. Tolkien painted for us in the Lord of the Rings series. Tolkien's books and his own influence on C.S. Lewis actually brought about the conversion of who C.S. Lewis, who was probably the greatest apologist perhaps that the Christian church has ever known. And C.S. Lewis said that he was dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. He had been an atheist, but he was confronted with the evidence for the God of the Bible, the evidence for the resurrection and so forth. And he had a brilliant mind and he was convinced that the Bible was divine and not human in origin. I think all of us would wonder, you know, as we read Revelation 9, and we we have seen a promise that when you read the book of Revelation, there's a blessing attached to the book. But many of us would ask, when we look at the darker chapters of the book of Revelation, 
What blessing can one glean out of these chapters? What are we supposed to learn as believers? The room is filled with believers tonight. Many of the people who will listen to this message later will be believers. What are we to glean from this revelation? What are we to know and understand about the world? One thing that we're to know and understand is that evil will be dealt with one day. It will be dealt with by God. In fact, he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. And it is a terrible and frightful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And though we don't want to talk about the wrath of God much in the church anymore, and we want to paint, you know, rosy pictures of everything being fine, we know deep down that everything's not fine. I'm sure you've looked around. I'm sure you've looked within. And when we do those things, we find that everything's not fine with mankind. The world has fallen. The world is under a curse. And if the world continues to shake its fist at God, God will not be mocked. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, Galatians 6, 7. Whatever a man sows to, that he will also reap. Peter says, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things remain as they were from the beginning of creation. But Peter says they are literally, you could put the language this way, stupid on purpose. I don't know if you know any people like that. Stupid on purpose. Perhaps nobody wants to be stupid on purpose, but some people just are. And it escapes their notice that God has been involved radically in his creation. Cataclysmically, you could say he made the world in power and authority, told the sea, you can only go that far. Stop. He created all the different elements of life on the planet, the diversity of species, the oceans, the moon, the sun, the stars. He is a powerful, majestic creator. Yet man, for being made in the image of God, has spent much of his existence defying God and even mocking God and done something that seems so tragic and so silly, but man has done this throughout his history, turned to idolatry. Man over and over again turns to things made with stone and wood and things that God made, but things that cannot produce anything. In fact, at the end of this chapter, we're going to see that after mankind gets these fifth and sixth trumpet blasts, men will not repent of their idolatry. They will not turn. And this is reminiscent of what happened in the Exodus when Pharaoh got plague after plague from the hand of God. He could not deny it was the hand of God. And some of, in some of the instances, he was actually you know, saying, I'm sorry, go pray for me. I've sinned and whatever. But then what happened to Pharaoh's heart? His heart grew harder and harder and harder. That's the way this chapter depicts what will happen in these days. Men, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says, would not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And so they have to deal with the wrath of God. The fifth angel sounds in Revelation 9-1, and if I haven't prayed, I'll pray right now. Father, just bless our time. Open our hearts and minds to your word in Jesus' name. The fifth angel sounded, Revelation 9-1, and I saw a star from heaven as John now describes what he sees, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Now, we've seen in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, uh, We've seen in Job 38, we see in other places like Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, that stars 
are sometimes angels. And so notice the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. So the star is a hymn. There's a personal description here of a hymn. And when you think of one falling, so this one has fallen from heaven and he's given the key to the bottomless pit. Who holds the keys of death and Hades according to Revelation 1.8? His name is Jesus. Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. But here, when this star falls from heaven to earth and here going to give authority over the bottomless pit, the key is given to him over this, what's called in Greek, the abusos, the bottomless pit. Jesus said these words, write this down for your notes, Luke 10, 18 through 20. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents, keep this in mind, and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And Satan did fall and fall hard. A prophecy given in Revelation, excuse me, in Isaiah 14, many people believe is about Satan's fall. It says, have you, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, star of the morning, Isaiah 14, 12. Uh, Lucifer later in the book of Revelation will be depicted as taking a third, sweeping a third of the stars with him. The stars are often angels. And so he led a rebellion. And there are many who hold, I do as well, that his final fall, when he's finally kicked out of heaven, when he has no more access, will be in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. Right now, it seems like Satan does have access to heaven, in Job chapter 1, he presents himself before God along with other angels. In Revelation 12, he's depicted as uh, bringing accusations against the, the saints. How often? Day and night he makes his accusations. But he falls. He had a, an original fall, and now there is a fall of this angel. There are many who believe this is Satan. Don't have to be dogmatic. And he Verse 2, Revelation 9, that is the angel opened the bottomless pit. This is the abusos. The pit is fraar in uh, Greek. And the smoke, when he opened this pit, went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. The air was often held to be the abode of demons. Uh, Satan in Ephesians 2, 2 is called the prince of the power of the air. And so demons were thought often to control that part of the world, if you will. And so notice the bottomless pit is opened up. There's smoke that comes out. The sun and the air are darkened by the smoke of the pit. And he opens this abyss. If you look over to Revelation 20 for a second, this abyss will be seen again, this bottomless pit. Revelation 20 verse 1, and this is something that we're all grateful is going to happen. Revelation 20, verse 1 says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. This is uh, in concert with the thousand-year reign of Christ. And threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. <laughs> 
And after these things, he must be released for a short time. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth weekend program. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Remember, Jesus ran into many demonic possession cases, one of which in the book of Luke, the demon said, are you going to cast us into the abuso, into the abyss before the time? And they were sent where? Into the pigs, into the swine. And the swine went over the edge, into the abyss, if you will. Kind of a picture of the final place for the demons. And here, the abyss is opened up. In 2 Peter 2.4, if you want to write it down for your notes, it says, For since God did not spare angels when they sin, sin, but cast them into hell, the word for hell is uh, Tartarus there. Many believe it's the deepest abyss of Hades. He cast them into hell and committed them to p- uh, pits or chains of darkness reserved for a judgment. As people look at 2 Peter 2, Jude uh, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, many have come to the conclusion that those who were demonic spirits, at least some of them have been put into this abyss, into this holding compartment, which will be later the place where Satan is for a thousand years. And they've been there. And when this key is given to this angel or Satan himself to open the bottomless pit, when he opens it, these demons come up out of the pit. Those who have been, you know, reserved in chains and so forth are now emerge. To what do they emerge? What is their goal? What are they going to do? Well, notice how the Bible describes them. Out of the smoke came forth locusts. The Greek word is akris, if you're interested, A-K-R. I-S. Um, and we'll talk about what, if these are actual locusts or not. They came forth, came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given them. So the power is not their own. It's given to them, at least for a season, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, I don't know a whole lot about scorpions, but I have been told that you don't want to be stung by a scorpion. Because if you are, My understanding is it's one of the most painful things that can happen to you. In fact, I've heard some stories about uh, people being uh, having to deal with a scorpion, and it's been a horrific pain. The book of Exodus uh, tells us about a similar happening. If you go all the way over to the book of Exodus, second book of your Old Testament, take a look at chapter 10. This is the eighth plague that fell upon the land of Egypt. I've been telling you that as we look at the book of Revelation, we can see parallels to the book of Exodus. Here's what happens in the eighth plague, Exodus 10, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all the hail, uh, all that the hail has left. Exodus 10, 13. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt 
As the, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all the day and all the night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. For they covered the face of the whole land, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit trees, all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus, nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. And all God's people said, wow. Terry, if you got the picture of the locust back there, um, this is what locusts look like when they descend upon an area. And anybody who's been involved in agriculture or agrarian life knows that when a locust invasion like this comes, go to the next slide, it is kind of a horrific sight. In fact, what happens is the sky almost becomes darkened by the millions upon millions of locusts. And you could have one hit the ground and try to crunch it. But even if you do, you're not going to do any good. Go to the next slide. Uh, You can see just how they can converge on an area and just dominate it. And then finally, and there's not much you can do if you're trying to deal with locusts that descend upon an area. When the Bible's using imagery of the day of the Lord in the book of Joel, and I don't have time to go there tonight, but write this down for your notes. Joel chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, and Joel chapter 2, verses 17 through 27 It draws a parallel between what I believe was a historic happening, go back to Revelation 9, that happened in Israel and and the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord imagery is captured, at least in one sense, with a locust-type invasion. But we're going to see that what is released out of this bottomless pit is clearly not regular locusts. They kind of capture the image, but that's not what is fully going on. They were told, Revelation 9-4, these ones who come out of the bottomless pit, that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God, Revelation 9-4, on their foreheads. Now, we do know that the 144,000 were sealed, and they were from each of the tribes of what? Israel. We do know that when the Exodus plagues took place, God made a distinction between Israel in the land of Goshen and Egypt as a nation. The plagues would come upon Egypt, but would not touch the people of Israel. In much the same way, if the 144,000 remain on the earth and are sealed, they are sealed for ownership and protection. They make it through, if you will, the day of the Lord, supernaturally protected, while the rest of the world has to deal with these plagues. They are told what they can and cannot do. They are told that they are not to hurt the grass, which locusts, normal locusts would do. They would eat up everything. Nor any grain thing, nor any tree, which locusts would normally do. But only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, the people who don't have the seal of God are non-Christians. They have, they're going to end up with another seal. They're going to take the mark of the beast, which we'll see later in the book of Revelation. And they're going to, unfortunately, face the day of judgment or the day of wrath. They, these creatures that come out of the abyss, verse 5, were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Now notice, they are not permitted to kill, but to torment. Very frightening, right? 
And when they sting an individual, they sting them with the torment of a scorpion. Now, I'll say this to you. We have uh, in the Christian Orthodox camp those who hold a preterist position. In preterism, which means past, they hold that much of what we see in Revelation has already occurred, and it occurred at the fall of Jerusalem. Let me just give you a few of what the things of what they say. One is they say Josephus, who was a historian of the time, says that when the Romans were getting ready uh, and they did this with several sieges to invade Jerusalem in A.D. 70, the people that were in the city kind of went nuts. It seemed like they were almost demonically influenced is what the inference is. I'll let you think about that. And that the final siege from, I think it was April to September, was for a period of five months. So some of our preterist friends believe that what's being described here is actually the fall of Jerusalem. Well, we'll talk more about the different views in Revelation chapter 9 when we return tomorrow. But as you can see, this is a nightmarish situation. And for those who are here during this judgment day, it is going to be scary and uh, not pretty to say the least. So anybody that you know that jokes about hell or, you know, when judgment days, judgment day comes, I'll, I'll have some words for God. Oh, my friend, you don't want to face this day. And you don't want somebody that you love to have to face this day. As you can see in these chapters, it's a very dark day when judgment finally falls. Now, let me remind you that the judgment of God fell on Jesus at the cross so it wouldn't have to fall on you. And all you have to do to make sure that you're in that camp of the saved, that you don't experience these dark days, is by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Michael, you said that this is only for one generation. What if I die before this? If you die before this, you're still going to have to face God and his holiness. And if God judges you by the Ten Commandments on that day, let's say that this is way ahead. It's a thousand years in the future. And let's say that you die, you live your life and you die, and God judges you by the Ten Commandments. How do you think you're going to do on Judgment Day? Do you think that you've kept the commandments, that you've loved God with everything you are and loved your neighbor as yourself, that you never lied or lusted? or took the name of the Lord God in vain, or hated someone without a cause, or stole anything, no matter what the value. See, my friend, it's not the end day scenario that really is the most important thing. It's whether or not you know the God who came to rescue you from sin and death. His name is Jesus, and he still saves. Would you receive him as your Lord and Savior? You'll be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, you'll have eternal life in you, both in quality and quantity, my friend. That's what Jesus gives. He's the giver of life and light. Oh, if you don't know him, please come to know him today. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for dying on that awful cross for me, for taking the wrath of God, bearing my shame, my, my sin at the cross, for taking that for me so that I could live, so that I would pass out of death into life. 
Oh, be my Lord, be my Savior. I repent of my sin, and I place my trust in you as my Lord, my Savior, my King, and my God. Hey, if you did that, we would love to know. Reach out to us today at walkintruth.com and tell us about your decision to follow Jesus. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance. Remember, you can purchase the DVD teachings in Revelation on the seven seals from Revelation 6, the 144,000 and the great multitude, Revelation 7. You can get a copy of The Mark of the Beast or The New Heaven and the New Earth. These are DVD products that we have available to you at walkintruth.com when you click on the store tab. You can purchase one for yourself or a friend. And remember, when you do, you are partnering with us in this great ministry of getting the gospel and the word of God out to as many as possible. Hey, if you believe in what we're doing, we are a listener-supported ministry. When you go to walkintruth.com, you can click on give, and you can give to this ministry, and you can become a monthly partner and know that as the funds come in, we are trying to expand and do more to impact people with God's word. So if you believe in what we're doing, please be praying for us. And if you have the means and you've been thinking about giving to this ministry, please think about doing it today. Go to walkintruth.com and become a partner. We deeply appreciate it because we want to exploit every open door that the Lord gives us and get the word of God out there. Now come back tomorrow because we're going to continue the teaching in Revelation chapter 9 on the fifth and sixth trumpets. You know, these judgments are indeed frightening. The good news is that they're not for the Lord's people. They're not for the church. But since the church is not appointed to wrath, but remember, the world is going to experience these cataclysmic judgments in the day of the Lord or the wrath of God. We're going to dive in more to Revelation chapter 9, the fifth and sixth trumpets tomorrow. We'll join you right here. God bless you. Remember, to learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, podcast, or to donate, visit walkintruth.com. And thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.